we do have uncertainty on this because we are using forecasts, uh, weather forecasts going out 60 days um, and a whole ensemble of models. They're not as accurate as the forecast for the next few days. So that does introduce uncertainty in how much larger it would be than that. Yeah, you kind of don't know what you don't know. I mean, <laughs> when you're dealing with uh, the uh, algae bloom, I mean, it changes uh, its size uh, during the course of the year, changes in uh, severity. Uh, that's why you issue regular updates throughout the summer. Yeah, so the, the idea here is to get, get enough information with the phosphorus flow going into Lake Erie, and the phosphorus is driven by the river discharge, especially the Maumee, which, of course, comes from the rainfall. And uh, by the first week or two in July, we have pretty much all the phosphorus that will cause the bloom. So at that point, we can do the best last forecast uh, of how big the bloom will be. Um, at that point, then the question is, where is it and how is it growing? Because it doesn't all appear at once. It develops over the summer and it also gets pushed around by the wind a lot. Algae blooms change during the course of the summer. They grow, they shrink. Uh, but is there any relationship between the size of the bloom and the toxic danger it could pose? Uh, not a lot, actually. Um, the, the, the major toxicity problem is certainly if there is scum. And in that case, all of the cells and the toxin with them accumulates at the surface. So those will be very toxic. But as far as the size, a uh, good comparison is 2014 when we know the Toledo water crisis occurred. And that was a much smaller bloom than the one in 2015. But it was about, at that time, about four to five times more toxic. Each cell was putting out four to five times more toxin in 2014 than in 2015. We're working pretty hard. Um, I'm working with people at a, several of the universities in the area on trying to uh, figure out how to forecast toxicity. We were just beginning to understand what causes that to change and why cells sometimes produce more toxin than at other times. So you're trying to get a better handle on what actually makes it toxic? Yes. And now, has uh, there been any meaningful effort to limit the amount of phosphorus feeding these blooms, and are they working? There, there are efforts going on now. There's a, a variety of, of studies that have been done on how to change uh, some of the farming practices because that's, that's a big part. The, the biggest part is off of agriculture. Uh, for example, efforts with no-till farming to inject the phosphorus fertilizer into the soil. I'm also a big push for soil testing. In some, some areas, the soil is, is low on phosphorus, in which, you need, which case the farmer needs to add phosphorus for their corn or soybeans to grow. In other areas, there's actually a, the, the soil is essentially full of phosphorus. So if you put more on, it doesn't help, and it actually runs off. So there's, there's efforts to try to promote those. Um, from the point of view of um, people outside of farming, um, I, th I think one case is uh, several of the major um, uh, lawn fertilizer companies have taken phosphorus out of the fertilizer. It's a recognition that growing grass needs nitrogen, not doesn't really need phosphorus. So they've actually they've actually dropped that. So if somebody's using a lawn fertilizer, they can get a no phosphorus fertilizer. So that's something individuals can help. Um, every every effort helps some, but the agriculture is the big one. You talked a bit about wind. You talked a bit about uh, rainfall. Uh, what factors go into uh, determining how bad a bloom is from one day to the next? Overall, the the cells grow once they start growing, which is starts with temperature. 
So the cyanobacteria uh, likes warm water. So if the phosphorus, and that's the main nutrient, is present, the water's warm enough, they start growing. Uh, at that point, they keep growing along until they use up the phosphorus. So what happens for when the bloom is bad is that they've piled up in one area or another. So that has to do with winds and currents. And the currents are also driven by the winds, I should say. So you may have winds driving a current that may push it along the coast. Then you can have, say, a wind from the south will tend to drive the currents towards Canada, and winds from the north will tend to drive them towards Ohio and Michigan. And they also, the winds cause mixing. So if there is very light wind, you get a scum formation. All the bloom comes up to the surface because it actually floats up and down. And so they will come up to light, um, sunlight, to photosynthesize. Then they actually carbon uh, carbo load. They make carbohydrates get heavy and sink. Well, if there's no wind, they can float to the surface. So you get a very intense concentration. And then that influences how they move around as well. So we, we actually work on modeling all the currents and the winds in order to try to say where the bloom will be and how strong it will be over several days once it starts. Do you expect Great Lakes levels, water levels, to have any effect one way or another on uh, the, the Bloom and Lake Erie? Interesting question. The lake level is it's certainly higher, and there is a slight possibility of a little bit of dilution uh, because the water comes out of Lake Huron, um, and that's actually got much, much lower phosphorus. My estimate is maybe it could reduce the size 10%, maybe 15% over what we might otherwise expect. Uh, but we really need to look in that more closely.